your current thesis on aging is and just how, how it compares to the other ones that are out there. Um, I, in one of your recent uh, interviews, you, you kind of dichotomized it between three different modes, but I'd love to just get a sense of how you view aging. Okay. If you ask to a lot of people, uh, even in the scientific community, what aging is, you will have multiple definitions. Um, what I would like to say about aging is, first, we start to understand the biology of the drivers of aging. There's, uh, there has been in 2012 a definition of the drivers of the, the hallmarks of aging, and uh, we went to 9 to 10 to 11 to 12. Every conference is a new driver of aging. I think what's really important in uh, aging for people to understand, it's, it's a process, a biological process that we understand. It's a multifactorial process. Uh, that means it's not, and our brain doesn't like this kind of multifactorial approach. We like to have one cause, one effect. Here we have multiple cause, one effect aging, and we, we, we call that aging. We may in the future change the word aging and, and subdivide aging in different categories, but that's another, uh, that's another topic. It's multifactorial. That means there will be possibility to act on aging, to delay aging, maybe even to reverse aging in certain uh, organs and maybe generally reverse aging. Uh, but do not expect one company come with a silver bullet. It will be like in cancer. You don't expect to have one company solving the cancer problem. You have multiple companies developing multiple strategies to fight cancer. Aging is as complicated, it may be more complicated biological process than cancer. We start to understand, we start to have tools to do it. The general public is not aware about it. And it's not in the, there's still this mindset of people saying, I'm getting old. I don't respond to vaccine very well. I cannot climb stairs as I used to do. My memory is not as good. I have to accept that situation because it's just aging. And if you go to your general practitioner and say, yeah, it's aging, you have to accept it. In fact, you should not accept it. That's an old mindset. It has been true forever. So we, we don't even question it. We said, okay, it's aging. It's a fatality. So aging is a biological process. It's not a fatality. We don't have to age. It turned out that we age, but if you take the clones, for example, you take a, an old cells and you're making a brand new living organism, every gene is there. There's some methylation around your genes. Some genes are reprogrammed and stop. That's what we call aging, but there's no fundamental biological reason for aging. It just happens. So key messages on aging, it's a biological process that we understand. There will be multiple ways to uh, act on aging. It's already there, and people should not accept aging as a fatality. Hmm. It, um, so it being multivariable, I'm curious, what, what allowed you to focus in on SIRT6 gene that mutation, I think you, it was found in like centarians and stuff. Like, what made you focus on yes. that versus like maybe working yes. with Yamanaka mm -hmm. factors or any of these other opportunities? 
Uh, we like the reprogramming, the, the Yamanaka factors. I can talk about that. I think it's very interesting way the reprogramming and the in vivo reprogramming is quite interesting. We can discuss that later. Why did we took the, uh, the option to develop a gene therapy for aging? Most companies are developing either drugs that already exist and they repurpose those drugs for aging. It's a very pragmatic approach. It's a low-hanging fruit. It's drugs. Those are drugs that are well-known, uh, well-prescribed. They already exist. And they said, hey, it seemed that by serendipity, we noticed that people with metformin, even if they have diabetes, they live longer than people who don't take metformin and don't have diabetes. So there should be something in metformin. And that's the approach that uh, my friend Nir Barzilai is uh, pursuing with the TEM study in phase three in the US. It's moving fast. It's will, it may come uh, as an FDA-approved drug for aging. Fantastic. You have rapamycin, you have uh, alpha-ketobutarate uh, developed by uh, Brian Kennedy at NUS. Several people are doing that. And it makes a lot of sense, you know. Anyway, those drugs will not provide a significant change in lifespan and health span. Uh, it's, it would be a marginal benefit, but a marginal benefit is already a huge benefit for the community uh, in terms of uh, uh, delaying age-related disease and also uh, avoiding a lot of cost about dependence. Then there's people who work on one of the drivers of aging, a company like Unity focus on one of the drivers said we focus on senescence. And we said we noticed that when we age, we have more senescent cells. Senescent cells are nicknamed zombie cells. Uh, they are cells that are not dying. Uh, they're not moving to cancer. They just stay there and release uh, cytokines. It's called SASP. Uh, pro-inflammatory and recruit other cells, but do nothing. They're not dead, they're still alive, but they just create inflammation. And when you have too many senescent cells in a tissue, the tissue is not functional, and that's what we call aging. And that's one of the view of aging. But keep in mind, aging is multifactorial. It's not only a question of senescence. These companies like Unity develop new uh, chemical entities to uh, develop senolytic or other approach to deal with those uh, senescent cells, to kill them, to prevent them to arrive. That's an approach. Uh, you have uh, now companies like mine who notice that there's a huge difference in aging that can be explained by gene. Uh, just let's take simple uh, in the animal, you know, we are all animals and we notice that a dog lives 10 years, a mouse lives, lives two to three years. Uh, and it's linked with the gene, the, the, the genome of the, the, uh, the dog. Uh, our company uh, think that one of the uh, common denominators of all the aging factors, senescence, mitochondria, is mostly uh, in our genome. Uh, we all notice around us that 
some people are aging gracefully without cancer, without cardiovascular disease, without neurodegenerative disease. Uh, they die at 105 in the bed and they still do a lot of things. They don't have a, a fancy lifestyle. Uh, uh, we can discuss that. Uh, Neil Basilai is a very interesting story about uh, centenarian. He loves to uh, interview centenarian. And once interview a woman who was 105 and during all the interviews he was mocking and he said I'm yeah. sorry I need to interrupt you 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 were smoking and, and you're 105 did at any time a doctor tell, told you not to smoke I said oh yes three of them told me that they all died <laughs> the point is it's not only your lifestyle it's not only there's not only what you do or what you kind of supplement you take, it's there's some inequality among us. Some people have good genes and will be centenarian, and some at uh, uh, 65, 70 will start to develop type 2 diabetes, uh, Parkinson and Alzheimer, uh, uh, have two or three stroke, uh, develop cancers. Uh, we see that this inequality, uh, and uh, we think that to fix this inequality, you need to act at the gene level. Uh, it was not possible for a long time because gene therapy was reserved for kind of a last resort therapy. Um, it, was, it was very expensive, it was dangerous, and it was not always ethical because what we were doing is push a gene into your chromosome, integrate that in your genome. And once it's there, you cannot get it off. You can silence it with some, but but it passed. It. So it's it's not good. It's not ethical, and it's dangerous. And it could. We have now better uh, tools to insert those genes, like like uh, uh, you know, at a precise point. But if you do it randomly, you may have disturb some genes and, and, and create a lot of issues. So dangerous, it was very expensive. Now the Moore law that applies to uh, electronics applies really well also on gene therapy. And the cost of gene therapy has really shrunk and is shrinking every day. Uh, there's uh, a beautiful gene therapy, AAV therapies like Luxterna. Uh, you're blind, you can see again cost of it $2 million. You understand that you cannot say, okay, we will help everybody to age better with providing $2 million. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, now we can do gene therapy that are not inserting into the genome. So they have a transient expression. It's like an extra chromosome that's next to it mm. uh, and express the gene and the protein that the gene uh, is, uh, is uh, coding for and then disappear and hidden slowly by the nucleus and you repeat, it's very safe, it's ethical, and it's not expensive. So it's now a, a toolbox that we have that allows us to help people to improve their genome to age better. And at the end of the spectrum, the more aggressive people are going for the reprogramming. That's what Altos Lab is doing. Uh, we also have project for reprogramming. It's very interesting, but uh, it's still, you know, the in vivo reprogramming is still in the infancy. It's progressing very fast. 
but there's still this risk of sarcoma and uh, it's uh, it's in a 10 years horizon. Mm-hmm. Do you, um, for administering it, is it the CRISPR that's helping you select down? No, or no, is it CRISPR is integrative. Else? Okay, so that's mm. one of the tools that CRISPR-9 is, is a very interesting uh, technology that allow you to insert a gene at the proper place in the uh, DNA. Uh, what we're doing, we do not interfere with your existing DNA. Okay. We just had something that goes into the DNA, and we develop special tools. Uh, I don't want to be too technical, but uh, okay. AVs have some limitations, um, and uh, they are mostly immunogenic. So they're interesting because they don't insert into the genome, but uh, therefore they are they. they they slowly disappear in your nucleus and they have to be replaced. Mm. So you need to repeat the injection and uh, because the immune and the immune system start to recognize and build some immunity, some neutralizing antibodies against those AAVs. And with time, uh, the, uh, the infusion you give is less and less active. So you, we have to, we had to find a, uh, some tools and those tools exist and we developed that's part of our uh, expertise at genflow mm-hmm. is to have this encapsulation of avs that blind them to the immune system so it allows us to uh, have repeated injections without losing the dose without losing the response the initial response it's also helped the expression so of the of the sirtuin 6 gene that uh, we are uh, trying to express. We'll discuss that later because it's not the wild type, the regular sirtuin 6 gene. Um, but uh, <clears throat> it's also allow us to lower the dose because we have higher expression. Yeah, I think with gene uh, therapies like what, you, what you're proposing, I, I, some people would say, oh, you have to take another dose and see that as a bad thing. But taking another dose or having to continue the th- therapy over time means it's like if something went bad i feel just like you know on you know my thoughts are something went wrong with it it's only like a period of time like you know like half-life with um doses of any therapy it's kind of like if you have an adverse reaction and i've had adverse reaction to to drugs it's like okay only four hours and then and then then it's done my doctor's like just just hold in their law i know it sucks and so it's it's kind of a nice thing that um instead of you know if if it was like permanent we had like great solution that that's good too but i I think we're a ways away but in the interim having something that it, it does seem like kind of a benefit in, in that way where if something were to go wrong and I, I don't know to the extent yes. you, um, um yes. efficacy and I stuff, understand. but uh, we pay a lot of attention of safety. Safety is the yeah. main and, and, uh, the regulators, the FDA, the European agency, MHRAs, uh, pay a lot of attention to, uh, the safety. There's some safety issues that are linked with the vector, the way we deliver the genes. Yeah. Now, what we deliver, the gene we deliver is, uh, you, you said sirtuin 6. That's the gene we deliver. That's our gene of interest in uh, medical mm-hmm. jargon. And in fact, that's not the wild type of the sirtuin 6. Sirtuin 6 we administer is a sirtuin 6 uh, that has been mutated and was discovered in centenarian. So people who are centenarian have this mutation of the gene. And this mutation is not found in people who are not centenarian. Um, the idea is 
uh, why Citroën 6? You ask the question. And, and, and yeah. Citroën 6 is one of the genes uh, that repair DNA. One of the main hypotheses about uh, aging is the fact that our DNA is more fragile than we think. At school, we see this beautiful, long, and it, it divide, and it's in real life. <laughs> it's not like this. Our DNA is relatively fragile, and it breaks. When it breaks, it has to be repaired. And unfortunately, in two thirds of the case, the uh, machinery that's supposed to fix that just fix it badly. It inserts an, an a, you know ACTG, and it ha it had a, a, a nucleotide that should not be there in the middle, non-homologous double end joining repair, uh, as opposed to homologous that fix it as it was before when you have two the two strands of the DNA are broken. Uh, that's when that creates some issues, sometimes not, sometimes it creates some issues. These issues are fixed by what we call epigenetic. You know? So you have uh, you have methylation groups or metals that comes to uh, block the reading of the faulty DNA. It's just faulty DNA. If it was not coming, you could get cancer, you could get apoptosis. If the cell can say, wow, it's so faulty, I I'd rather die for that apoptosis, and it goes for suicide, and, or uh, it's super faulty and creates some very bad stuff and uh, move to cancer and called cancer, or it can go to senescence, so it's never good. And one of the way to escape that is to say, okay, let's, there's something wrong, let's put a carpet on it, and no one saw that there's dust in it. And with the accumulation of all this dust under the carpet, the methylation, the methyl group carpets, uh, that's epigenetics, uh, is, is what we call aging. And this epigenomic, uh, are you familiar with epigenetic? Yeah, it's uh, Maybe I should, how, I, I I should think explain of it like, a little yeah. bit. So because I will, I will use that, and especially when we talk about reprogrammation, uh, like, uh, all the time in biology, we go for, we understand, we got the final solution. And there's, there's another step and another step and another step. Huh? When I was doing, I was going to medical school, we saying, okay, we understood Parkinson. There's no need to understand Parkinson. And, and, and it's getting, now we still don't get Parkinson. It's not only a question of dopamine and locus nigger. Same thing with genes. We said, okay, oh, now we have, we understand our genome. It's, it has been fully sequenced. That's it. We have all the genes we have to understand. What we have to understand that our genes are red or not red. And the, the life around us uh, act on our genome and, and hide stuff. It makes a lot of sense. Huh? Uh, when, when you... Well, just an embryo, you have cells that are pretty important, can do everything. But the cells on my skin, only the DNA that's necessary to do skin mm -hmm. cells is expressed. Everything else is shut down. In my liver, uh, I have only the genes in my hepatocyte. I have only the genes that express are uh, the only gene that necessary to make an hepatocyte. 
not even the stellar cells or you know kupfer cells or just that it's it's program and with with this it's just the methylation that goes and and other tools that our that living organism developed to deal with DNA. And this reprogramming with the Yamanaka factor is to get rid of all this and to go back to the uh, first cell that could do everything, pluripotent. Um, so the methylation is quite important. And the, the fact that our DNA breaks just interfere in the repression with methylation accelerate aging. So we, we wanted to have one of those genes that repair DNA to come back to our discussion about mm-hmm. CER286 and why CER286. We digress a lot, but coming back to your question, promise. Uh, this gene that are repairing DNA, we have a lot. And every living organism has evolved a lot because it's a huge problem. And it's a crucial problem. If you cannot fix your DNA, if you cannot have a, a gene that repairs DNA when there's damage, uh, there's no life. So we all evolved and we have the same genes as mouse, as, uh, as a dog, uh, even some, you know. So it's, it's very old it's, and we have a lot. Most of those genes are very big because they're old, genes, they are very big and they have multiple functions. They do this and a little bit of that. So if you want to do a gene therapy, you need a, a gene that's relatively short to go into your vector. And you don't want a gene that express multiple pro- uh, proteins, code for multiple protein, because then it's it's very difficult to control. In addition, you have uh, one of the first gene that was an age rate, uh, age regulator or an epigenomic controller was FOXO3 with uh, a woman uh, called uh, Linda Canyon. And FOXO3, for example, is not a gene that eligible for gene therapy because it's a, it's a FOXO3. It's, it's a gene that will have an impact not only with multiple proteins, but an impact on other genes. So it, 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 it cascade you know, other genes to work or to be closed or open or closed. So the the, the C twenty six was very small. The cDNA, the, the coding section of the DNA of the C twenty six is less than thousand base pair. So that was very easy to use it with a gene therapy, and it allowed us to have a lot of safety, like a, a switch on off, to be sure that if there's any problem, we can switch off things like this. You have enough room in the vector to put a lot of stuff and play with the the vec- the uh, the promoter and the polyethyl and a lot of uh, other issues that you fill up in your vector uh, and uh, what really uh, pushes us to set two and six is the fact that it has been uh, tested in multiple animal models and it always extends lifespan. Now that's not the wild type. It's not my Cetwin 6, your Cetwin 6 that I use. We use Centenarian Cetwin 6. This Centenarian Cetwin 6 has been uh, identified in Centenarian as a better ability to repair DNA. And uh, that's uh, a better tool because what we want to 
do is to, with age, help your your genome to better uh, fix DNA damage. Uh, the problem with DNA damage, we have we have a limited number of genes that take care of the problem. And then you have DNA damage, DNA damage, and it's increasing. And after a while, the the system is overwhelmed and cannot cannot do the maintenance properly and needs some help. And what we do is just to provide an extra help. So uh, you're overwhelmed. Here is some. And in addition, we don't use the, the, the one you use. We use the super one, the one you find in Centenarian that repair even better. Hmm. That's why we, we showed this Sirtuin 6 Centenarian. Uh, the trigger, in fact, was a publication in uh, Cell in 2012 by Vera Gorbunova uh, in uh, Rochester University. Uh, she worked with us and we're doing a lot of stuff with, uh, with Vera. Um, she did a very smart uh, experiment. She took multiple rodents and uh, among rodents you have mouse and you have naked morat or beaver mm. with very different life expectancy. Uh, mouse live two to three years uh, naked morad, beaver, 30 years. They're both rodents. They should be cousins. They should have more or less the same, you know, in, between human, we die if everything is going well between 80 and 100 and, you know, 70 and 100 and fine. But there's, but that's not this big discrepancy. And she tried to understand what was different. She looked at Sirtuin 6 and switched the Sirtuin 6. She took the Sirtuin 6 of beavers, and she demonstrated a correlation between the quality of the Sirtuin 6 and the life expectancy. Uh, the next big finding in this paper was between the Sirtuin 6 of uh, a mouse and the Sirtuin 6 of a naked mole rat, 30 years difference in, uh, you know, a factor 10, uh, only five amino acids difference on a protein that has 350 amino acids. And we are talking about gene that has 1,000 base pair. Hmm. And uh, that's a small, very small variation in, in, the, in, in the five amino acids. In, in, you know, it's extremely small. And it was begging the question, could we have a, a super sirtuin 6 in human? And the question was, yes, we searched in Centenarian uh, and, and we found this uh, super centenarian mutant. So that's what we developed and we are quite excited about it. Is it possible to like supercharge it so it's even better than what's found in Centenarian? So that's like if, if, if they're like the, the top yes. that we found, or oh, can we go above yes. that? Yes, I wanted to simplify because I didn't want to take too much time. But oh, yeah. <laughs> in fact, uh, Albert Einstein, uh, College of Medicine in New York, Columbia University, and um, and uh, and um, um, Vera Gorbinova found, uh, uh, in fact, not one mutation but two mutations. And uh, so when we started, we thought, okay, should we? Which one should we take? And we look at one, we look at the other. They were exactly the same. They had the same benefit. And to our surprise, when we added the two, 
and very few supercentenarians have the two mutations. They had only one or the other. But when we have the two and the, the gene therapy that now we propose have the two, in fact, we there was a synergy and we got, you know, uh, in, one mutation allowed to triple the ability to repair double strand break. And when we took the two mutations, we had six times the ability to repair wow. DNA break. So that's that's our supercharge, if you want. Yeah. Um, is there an age where if you go after, is there like a like a, an optimal age to administer a therapy like this? So then you have like the rest of your life to have the benefit or even because it's, I, get, I imagine like you're adding more shovels to like, you know, clean things out. So if, if you're 70 and you just have more, yeah, I'm just wondering, is there an optimal age for it? Or like, can everyone uniformly use it to its maximum effectiveness? Okay. Uh, typically, it's a difficult question. Oh. <laughs> uh, and you have to take what I say with a grain of salt. First thing about aging, uh, we still think, you, oh, yes, general populations, as, as some, there's some uh, uh, misconceptions. So we talk about aging when we are, you know, after 50, 60, so, oh, yes, aging. Before, it's not really, we don't age. It's kind of, uh, you age in utero. You start aging. If you say aging is kind of accumulation of epigenomic dysregulation, you're aging in utero. You start aging in utero. So uh, should we start in utero? <laughs> no. Uh, what, let's, in, to answer your question, I should say, what is the objective? Mm-hmm. Uh, the objective is not to extend the lifespan. Uh, our life expectancy has been progressing. It's absolutely fantastic. In 1900, uh, between 1900 and now, we ha- we got a new life. Okay, life expectancy was 43. It's now 82. Yeah, you, we have in fact more than double our life expectancy. So, in, a, in every every one of us, compared to the 1900, we got a second life. Mm. Fantastic. In the U.S., for the first time, we saw a decline because of the uh, opioid crisis, but it's going back, and we see a, a growth of... Uh, uh, with the tool we develop, we will extend again life expectancy. But if I give you a third life, but this life is only going to chemotherapy... Uh, trying to get your kidney to solve your stroke issue. Uh, you forgot everything because you have Alzheimer. Uh, you have a type 2 diabetes. Yeah. You go to dialysis. That's not a gift. It's a curse. Mm-hmm. That's the situation now. Yes, our life expectancy is increasing, but our health span is not increasing. Uh, health span is the time you are healthy. When you're 65, you have, in average, two comorbidities. You already have either a diabetes or cardiovascular disease or neurosis. It's what our healthcare system, that's a misnomer, is a sick care system. We wait for you to be sick. 
most of the time. Uh, we don't take into consideration risk factor very rarely. Cardiologists are doing it. Uh, you go to your cardiologist and they found you have high blood pressure, they will give you something for high blood pressure. High blood pressure is not a disease, it's a risk factor. You, you had no symptoms. It was just a discovery. Same thing with your cholesterol level. You have cholesterol level, they give you a statin, fine, to prevent to have a stroke, to prevent to have a myocardial infarction, fine. There's some risk management. Now, if you go to your doctor, your general med doctor, and you said, ah, doctor, I just, uh, I, I lose my mind. I just, I, I, I get, I get, uh, I get the flu every time I travel now. Uh, uh, I I forget stuff. I I cannot take the stairs as usual. He will say, you're, you're aging. You have to accept it. There's nothing I can do. That's not correct. Hmm. Now we have tools. You can, you can do stuff to not only delay age-related disease, the cardiovascular disease, the cancer, the stuff like this, but you can also delay this kind of slow decline of functions of your immune system, or of your mem of your cognitive uh, uh, capabilities, of your muscle mass. You don't have to lose your muscles with age. It's not something that's not a fatality. So if you were going, the, the issue is it's very important that we have this kind of talk with general public because uh, if you go to a, your cardiologist and he says you have high blood pressure and you have cholesterol to the roof. Well, well, we'll do nothing about it because this is not a disease. You have no symptom. You didn't notice it. I will wait for you to do a stroke. Well, the guy is crazy. You go to, you run to another cardiologist and say, give me a statin, give me something to lower my blood pressure. So I try to a diet, do something and just, but don't don't accept it. And now you go to a general practitioner and said, "Hey, I can't climb those stairs now. You hold Lowell, accept it." No, no, because we have we have tools now. Mm -hmm. But the mindset has been here here for thousands of years. It's change of paradigm. It's, we need to change our mindset. It's very difficult. And general public, they, they, they may here and there, yes, we start to understand longevity. Oh, they will make us live to 150. I don't want to live. In a... It's not that. It's do you want to have a miserable 10 last year of your life? Or do you want like the super centenarian, maybe to live 10 more years, but to enjoy those, to be engaged, to have autonomy, not to depend on others to be able to do what you always wanted to do, not to be going to dialysis, to chemotherapy, to re-education for your stroke. No, to have real life. That's the issue. And it's possible. And people should do things. Especially when you look at the demography everywhere. Huh? It's, we, we, we are, there's a silent revolution, a silent demographic revolution we talk about global warming we talk about things that are coming but something is coming it's the aging of the population of the world we tend to think oh it's 
that's a problem for Japan, for, for the Japanese, the, the, the Italian, the, the German, the Russian. Yeah, they have issues, but no, worldwide. For the first time in human history, there's more people aged over 65 than people under five. Yeah. First time. Never happened. But every uh, community, every society is organized on the base that we have this big pyramid with a lot of young people who support few people. In France right now, they're talking about retirement. They have to move it to 64. It's big, oh, big fuss. They can start writing. So, oh, should we move from 62 to 64? It's it's not sustainable. It's There's, there's too many old people and, and the life expectancy is increasing, but the health span is not increasing. So it's a larger of sick people who depends on a very small base of young people. Mm-hmm. I can bet there's a lot of young people at one point who would say, why should I continue paying for those old guys that are dying and, and, and just, just always sick? I can pay for one chemotherapy, two chemotherapy, three chemotherapy. That's enough. That's not sustainable. But we still say, no, no, it's not happening. We will wait when it will become, you know, an acute problem. It's already almost an acute problem. Japanese government has huge issues now, but it's everywhere. It's it's all, it's worldwide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I think China has it the worst. We need to do something to increase health span. It's a, it's an emergency as a society, of course, as a huge benefit at the individual level. But as a society, it's it's a it's a problem. If we don't solve it, we have a big problem, a major problem. Yeah, um, I think I was reading that like China has it the worst. Like they like miss yeah. they miss uh, mislabeled like a hundred million people, so they actually have an even worse pyramid. America is like. The millennials, my generation, it's like we're we're kind of fat, but then other people underneath us are. Uh, there's not that many. That's what I mean by fatness. Um, yeah, population uh, demographics are really interesting. The, when you're when you're developing, just as like no a quick, quick aside. Yeah, no. <laughs> and there's no quick fix. You know, if it's uh, it's a it's a slow train, but you can sit, and we're going slowly into the wall. And everybody says, no, 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 let's, let's wait to hit the hole. <laughs> but it's coming. We know it's it's, just, it's impossible to deny it. But we say, oh, yeah. we have other problems to solve. Yes, we have a lot of other problems to solve, but this is a huge problem. Yeah. On the uh, list it, of the big problem the world has. <laughs> yeah. It's a, you know, when they say uh, it's an exciting time to be alive, it's usually not a good time to be alive. That means there's like so many things to do. But I will say that. You know, we have technology now to do something. You know, if it was like 200 years ago, it's kind of like, you know, what do, what do we have to, like 200 years ago, we, we leached a president to death. It, uh, George Washington literally was killed because of leaching and he had pneumonia at the same time. Um, so like, I think we have a lot of potential, like what you got going on uh, to affect change in that. I'm curious. So I keep reading about these, uh, like Ginkgo Bioworks and Thago type platform companies that build that try to be like AWS or like servers for companies like yours to do aspects of the development. So you don't have to do everything. I think of it from like a tech standpoint of like having servers. I don't know, like how you think of it, but 
Do you use anything like that? Like, I, I don't know anyone who's actually used what these platforms are building. So I'm just like, is this a part of how you're expediting your pipeline? Or is it you, you just, you're just like, uh, you know, how do you think about it? Oh, there's a lot in your questions. Uh, pipeline you mentioned uh, first. Uh, right now, my company is uh, is a company that's one trick pony, let's say, because we based on one technology. It is variant of Saturn 6. We focus it. We develop it for two indications. Uh, one, Werner syndrome. It's a progeria. It's a disease of accelerated aging. Uh, so people 30, but they look like their 70s and their multiple comorbidities. It's a rare disease. Uh, it's developed yeah. under all federal designation. So we have some kind of benefits, but it's small market. And we develop also in uh, uh, um, liver disease called uh, NASH. It's non-alcoholic uh, steatosis. Uh, that's mostly fatty liver that evolves with... Uh, toward uh, hepatoma through cirrhosis and fibrosis. So you go fatty liver, uh, fibrotic liver, cirrhosis, and hepatoma. Um, it's, it's a huge problem, especially in developing in, uh, in developed countries. It's uh, the soda disease. It's Coca-Cola. It's a gift from Coca-Cola and other stuff like this. Uh, it's, it's a huge number of patients. Uh, a huge number of patients have fatty livers. Uh, a significant proportion of those patients will evolve to fibrotic liver, uh, will evolve to cirrhosis, and a few more to hepatoma. But uh, it's a difficult disease uh, to treat. What we do with our Saturn 6, we can rejuvenate uh, the, the liver. Well, our objective is to rejuvenate liver. Liver is a very interesting uh, organ in terms of aging. Uh, you know, certain animals can uh, regrow an arm. You take a salamander, you cut, and yeah. you regrow a tail. We cannot do that. But if you, if I cut half of your your liver, your your liver will regrow. That's one of the organs. Our skin can do that uh, sometimes with fibrosis, but the liver can also do that. Can regrow. So that's very interesting. And what we want, uh, the Saturn the 6 has activity on the lipids, had activity on the uh, um, fibrosis, and we were very happy to sign some very strong uh, antifibrotic activity, uh, has the tumor suppressor activity, so to block the evolution to, uh, to um, uh, hepatoma. Also, we have some... Uh, uh, activity on at the uh, amino acid and the um, ceramid, also this kind of other uh, lipids uh, that help us to act at different level. So at the cirrhosis level, at the hepatoma level, before the hepatoma level. So we can really uh, help the liver to come back to a more functional level. So that's Nash. But we are only uh, uh, one trick pony because we have one technology and for the investors that's uh, that's always risky because you put all your eggs in the same basket either the technology is working and fantastic you become a very rich person and you're very smart investors or it fails and you lose everything and we don't like to lose everything so to be a binary event like this is difficult so uh 
what I'm working now, now that we have the, the program with uh, the gene therapy program with Sirtuin 6 well in place, moving forward is to grow the, um, the, uh, the, the pipeline. In addition, uh, it's consistent with our belief that uh, the aging process is multifactorial. There won't be one company coming with, oh, this is a silver bullet and you take this and you will live forever without any problem. That will not be the case. It's If I was say, saying that for cancer, people would say, oh, yes, is is a, a crack. It's not working. Think about aging as cancer, more complicated. So there will be multiple agents. That doesn't mean we do nothing against cancer. We can hack. And that's we can do things on aging, but there will be multiple people, multiple companies, multiple approach, multiple combination for some people, for some situation, for certain age with different uh, safety profile for the therapy, more or less aggressive, more or more potent on this or this aspect of aging. So this is what's happening. And we are growing our pipeline. Now, how we do we operate? Um, one thing that's really interesting in being a biotech or research, uh, research organization in aging is the fact that because of this multifactorial aspect of aging, uh, we, we collaborate a lot. There's some therapeutic area where there's competition and people keep everything they do in confidential and they, they do not cooperate. They don't, they, they will even mislead their competitors. You see that that's not the, that's not the mindset in longevity. Uh, in the conference, there's a lot of exchange. A lot of people understand that there's some uh, uh, there's there's a lot to gain from exchanging. Uh, there's now um, I'm going tomorrow to uh, the Evolution Conference in in Riyadh. It's a fund from the Saudi. Uh, they they grant companies, but uh, when they give you a grant, they want to you to promise that you will publish the results, even if it's negative. And that's very important that you, you know, you share things like, this is not working, don't waste your time on this. And from, if it's not working, you can say, oh, then therefore maybe this is working. So we all benefit from that. So there's a lot of collaboration, a lot of cooperation, and uh, it's, it's a very attractive therapeutic area uh, in that sense. So a lot of collaboration uh, is, is going on through conferences and it's very vibrant. Uh, you have also to understand that people who go to aging research are all passionate. Uh, in academia, that was not the fast track to choose, you know, uh, going for aging research. Uh, it's, it's people who are really passionate, who are uh, ready to take risk. People like uh, uh, David Sinclair at Harvard, he didn't push his, his career at, at Harvard. You know, he had, uh, oh, it's, it's not approved by the FDA, it's not regulated by, by the, any agency, it's, it's not a disease. Why are you doing aging? Focus on, on Alzheimer, focus on, on, on cardiovascular disease, on cancer, but why aging? In fact, Yes, focus on aging because it makes much more sense to delay 
those age-related diseases where we have, you know, when you have a stroke, you've got a stroke. It's, it's very rare that you get the chance to get a TPA and, and get your, your clot out. Uh, most of the time, it's something we do very little. And, and you got a stroke, and if you're hemiplegic, you're hemiplegic, and you're on your own to get back to normal. Huh? It's, it's difficult. So it's not like also we have a cure for Alzheimer or so you get so anything that could prevent all those disease type 2 diabetes we we don't cure it type 2 diabetes we manage it poorly and and it evolved to to renal insufficiency and to dialysis and and is going to dialysis quality of life i don't think so you know, just especially when you have type 2 diabetes. And if you have also an neurogenitive disease, if you have Parkinson, if you have a, any kind of comorbidities, it adds up it's, and your life becomes meaningless and, and without pleasure. So, yes, it should be a focus. Yeah. Sorry, but again, we diverge a lot from your initial question. But, um, <laughs> Feel free to resent to me. But, uh... Well, uh, one um, aspect of it that I don't know if we were able to touch on, and uh, I'll add a, a third one in there. I'm just kind of, I'm curious about the effects of machine learning on what you're doing, as well as are yes. there are there platform companies like Synthago or, or uh, Ginkgo Bioworks that comes in and does an element of the research? You know, like, like I think a Ginkgo will make like the, the, the organism for you. Synthago, I think, will make like the CRISPR thing about, I know you don't use that, but I'm just curious as like an example. No, 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 but oh. uh, AI, AI is, is a super important component. Mm. Uh, and that's why uh, there's therapeutic areas where nothing happens and all of a sudden there's this tipping point and, and everything accelerates because there's multiple factors that just the gene therapy alone, that the biology of aging we understand and one thing that was very important is the ability to measure aging. I don't mean chronological. When you measure aging, you say, I'm whatever, uh, 40, because I was born. And, and yeah. then if I count, it's 40 years. I mean, for my age, it's 40. But what's very important is to have a very good idea of what is your real biological age. And uh, people like uh, Steve Orbas at UCLA now working for Altos did did fantastic job on that. Uh, and we have now better tools to uh, create those biological clocks that measure the biological aging, the real age. So what is your your real biological age? Uh, B to to develop those biological clocks. Uh, AI is now playing a major role, and you have people uh, like Zoran uh, uh, I, I will, I cannot pronounce his name. Very, very smart guy. But there's a lot of uh, uh, people now who are uh, use AI to develop those clocks and measuring something. To be able to measure something is a, a very important step in understanding the biology and acting on the biology of something. First, you have to be able to measure. Uh, if I take, for example, there's a, I read a very nice book that was saying that all the lower thermodynamics came after we invented thermometers. Before you were, before we understand what heat and, and you know, all those guys came with the low thermodynamics, we needed to invent the thermometer. One you can measure, and it could be the, the Kelvin, the Celsius, the, the Fahrenheit, okay, and there was, 
the, the, the history of thermometer is very interesting because the melting point you chose one guy even chose the uh, the melting point of butter to, have us, have, uh, to develop the thermometers, but uh, it, it was you develop the way to measure, and then you can develop a theory of of thermodynamic, uh, and it's the same thing. You you can measure the 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 biological age, and then you can develop a theory of aging, and that helped us a lot to have those tools. Those tools are now very reliable. And it's a very important uh, part in the explosion of our understanding of the biology of aging. So AI is playing a lot of uh, roles. This one is uh, the biological clocks, but also in understanding the biological of aging, we understand that it's extremely complex and there's multiple factors. Uh, you may... You may find people who talk about aging from senescence because they're PhD in senescence. I've been working on senescence, so they, they focus on senescence. But senescence does not explain every the aging problem in itself. Some people say, oh, it's a mitochondria. They, they spend 20 years on, to get a PhD on, on mitochondrial, mitochondrial function and say, yeah, it's, it's the energy. It's coming from there. I just... And they have a very strong rationale to, to say, yes, yeah, coming from mitochondria. It's, it doesn't explain the totality. So it, all these drivers interact and, and there's, uh, the, the old mark of aging are, are kind of separate. But in fact, uh, the epigenome dysregulation act on, 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 on senescence. Uh, because a cell goes to senescence because there's an epigenomic dysfunction. So uh, they are all interacting and the, the AI and the, the, um, the deep learning is crucial because uh, we have here enough data, enough, enough complexity to use those tools. Uh, the main limitation from what I understood from uh, deep learning is sometimes that you don't have enough data. So <laughs> the deep learning can, but here we are really it's typical things where uh, we have a huge now uh, input from, from AI and this will increase and we will use that tool more and more often. Some, some very interesting companies uh, that are developing uh, uh, tools only based on deep learning and AI. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really fascinating technology. It's one of the things that I'm currently learning, the machine learning, uh, uh, the actual like engineering of it. Um, I, the, the label of the podcast is Learning with Lowell, and I always like to ask people, um, what are you currently working to learn about? Like, uh, you know, personally, professionally, it could be like playing the violin. You know, what are you, what are you currently working to learn about? Sorry, what are we currently working on? No, no, no. What are you currently working to learn? Oh, to learn about oh. Uh, there's uh, I'm trying to learn a lot about reprogramming now. Hmm. Uh, with the Altos Lab and the recent publication from uh, the in vivo uh, use of Yamanaka factors uh, in maps. Uh, there's a that's a kind of an interest. It's aggressive. Uh, the uh, you, are you familiar with the Yamanaka factors? I know about the Yamanaka factors. I have not read. Okay, I Yamanaka is this guy in, the in, in, in Japanese guy who just discovered that 
by yeah. cultivating cells, uh, old cells with four factors. Uh, you can you can uh, you can return them to these yep. uh, pluripotent uh, stem cell. Let's say yes, cells with multiple potency can do a lot. So uh, when I was in med school, we were saying the river is going from up to down and you have the uh, the pluripotent cells and then one is going down, there's no way to come back. And these guys say, no, 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 you can come back. You have people yeah. like Jean-Marc Lemaitre in France who were even able to go take senescent cells. Uh, with the Fourier Manaka factor, if the cells is in senescence, you cannot reverse it to iPSC to uh, induce pluripotent stem cell. Uh, but uh, Jean-Marc Lemaitre and his team in France, in, in Montpellier, they, they used two other factors. And with these six factors, they were able to take uh, a fibroblast of a French centenarian and to get iPSC from this uh, centenarian fibroblast senescent. So you, we can do a lot. The issue in, among the four uh, Yamanaka factors is the fact that two of them are oncogenic. I mean, they, they, they trigger the cancer. And uh, so, yes, you can, you can make it, uh, you can make a, a living organism young, but uh, with a teratoma. And teratoma is not a tumor you want to have. So it's very bad cancer. So, so far, it's a bad idea. Uh, there's a Spanish guy, there's a team that now have been hired by Altos uh, to... Uh, uh, develop this in vivo uh, use of Yamanaka factors with a switch on off. And the idea is uh, uh, we just express those Yamanaka factors for a short time and then we switch off. And then and by doing that, we can do this in vivo reprogramming and getting the old cells going back to um, um, the uh, not only the iPSC. And the idea is to go back as not too, too high, uh, but uh, so partial reprogramming is also an issue and a lot of people are working on it. Uh, there's now other uh, factors that are uh, used at the four Yamanaka factors or the six factors that were used by Yamanaka and Lemaitre. Uh, there's some that are quite interesting and we're working on that and that could be one of our projects and one of your, it's in discovery right now, but uh, we would like to move that to a preclinical as soon as possible. It's very interesting. Uh, uh, we are also working on a product that to add our, to our pipeline, not to be this kind of a, a binary proposition for investors to have multiple approach. And uh, we're working also on product that are bringing product that have some uh, activity on metabolic syndrome, you know, obesity and uh, type 2 diabetes. Uh, and it's consistent with our NASH program. So we have some uh, some expertise here and we can expect synergy in development. So that's that's what we try to, uh, to focus right now, being very pragmatic. But uh, the point when you said, what are you learning now? I'm, I'm, I'm learning it's, it's this area of discovery is, of aging is, it's really amazing. It's, a year ago, this discussion that just we just had about reprogramming was impossible. It would be, you know, no, it's not possible. It's in vivo reprogramming. It's it's no way. It, it was possible in mice under certain condition. Can it be extrapolated to human? Uh, certainly not at this stage. 
there's a lot to do and uh, but uh, it's progressing at an exponential level so uh, you need to learn all the time and uh, the truth or, or you know the 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 paradigm can shift very fast uh, there's uh, there's a lot to learn and if you don't want to learn I think you're dead in this uh, because it's 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 moving so fast. So there's really this idea of uh, uh, you need to keep up with the with the science. Yeah. Um, the issue with what... science that goes too fast is that the mindset of the general public move very slowly, and then you have this disconnection between. Uh, a, a scientific community that says, oh, we can do all those things, and we discover it. And, and the public just said, I don't even know. It doesn't make any sense because for years we have been, you know, doing nothing and, and it's, it was what commonly accepted, for example, that aging is a fatality and we have to accept it. And, and on the other hand, you have this exponential accumulation of knowledge about aging. So yeah. that's that's why it's important for for people like you to just kind of uh, get the message out, guys. Guys, get interested in it. it you can have a real benefit by looking at that. Um, some aspects of living longer. I wanted to ask you about uh, specifically. How do you? How does? How should someone? How do you do intermittent fasting? We talked about this beforehand, like how there's like you know. People usually hand wave this detail. I'm just curious, like, how do you actually do that in practice? Okay. So first, living longer is a shortcut uh, to say we increase health span. Uh, Again, living longer with, uh, if it's to go to chemotherapy and dialysis, no, thank you. I don't want to. And I think that's shared by a lot of people. Uh, What you want to do is to increase your health span, how long you stay healthy. And you want to be able, uh, how long do you want to be able to run a marathon? Do you, do you want to run a marathon at 80? Okay, that's one point. Now, uh, diet. Uh, and you said intermittent fasting. Intermittent fasting is certainly very interesting. It's one of the way. Uh, the best way to act on longevity based on animals and data. And, and that's what Aubrey de Grey, a good friend of mine, just uh, uh, developed that. It was caloric restriction. So if you limit your caloric amount, you don't eat too much, you live longer. And it's true on every animal. And when you look at any kind of lifestyle intervention, that does exercise and caloric restriction. Those are the most impactful of course uh, you know avoiding stupid things like smoking because you will get okay that's part of uh, okay but among the change in lifestyle interventions it's caloric restriction and exercise now intermittent fasting intermittent fasting is term that's coined and it's 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 what is intermittent fasting? Is it, is it this uh, eight, 16 hours when you have an eight hours window to eat? Uh, by the way, this eight hours I learned from, uh, uh, from 
Uberman that uh, it was it was just you know eight hours. There's no rational for eight hours or seven or six hours. Just the guy who did the first uh, experiment uh, had a, a girlfriend who wanted him to be in the labs no more than eight hours. So he fed the mouse for the mice for eight hours. But if you had a girlfriend who said you can stay ten hours, maybe the window will be ten hours and and fourteen hours of starving. Okay, but anyway, uh, there's definitely uh, um, a benefit, uh, and there's definitely you know not pushing mTOR all the time, the mTOR pathway uh, by by not having food and any kind of simulation of the insulin pathway of the mTOR pathway could be very interesting. Uh, I don't think that the jury is still out. You will have a lot of medical gurus. That's not my specialty, but they will say, oh, this one is 8 to 18. Is uh, You need to fast for three days. You need to, because some intermittent fasting will say, oh, yes. And if you can st- start for five days and there's people who have commercial, you know, they, they have those clinics when they say, oh, yes, you can, you can, you can stop eating for five days. We'll help you. We'll give you our special uh, drink, something. We'll be there with you as psychologists. Because they have some, you know, agenda, and I think limiting the the amount of calories you eat to uh, to the minimum, uh, but still allowing to have exercise because exercise is also very important in terms of uh, uh, lifestyle intervention. Uh, what you need to to make the choice is something you can sustain. Uh, if you if you can you know, stop eating for two days without any problem and and you can do that every two months and you can do that for the rest of your life. Uh, the eight, 16 hours, 16 hours of, uh, you know, nothing to eat and eat everything, your meals in eight hours seems easy socially. Uh, social interaction is very important. So if you skip the, the breakfast, you take a late lunch and you eat, you know, after not before nine and after nine you said I stop it seems easy to implement it seems to, to be a, a lifestyle that's consistent with uh, with keeping some social interaction because if you do something too weird you know it's you lose or you limit your social interaction to a group of people who are as weird as you are <laughs> and it's not good uh, so it seems to me acceptable, but yes, it's definitely something exercise and, and caloric restriction through, uh, through intermittent fasting and intermittent fasting is not only, uh, it's not only working because it induced some caloric restriction. It, it has its own benefit because for 16 hours, your insulin is not, you know, stimulated. And so you don't have your, uh, your mTOR pathway stimulated, all that is huge benefit. And it allows all those repair mechanisms to be um, upregulated and to be able to really fix the damage where we're talking about, you know, how do we fix DNA damage and how important DNA damage is in the aging process? Because that's the underlying cause of aging, accumulated uh, damage in your DNA. 
Yeah. Uh, and then um, what books would you recommend people read? It doesn't have to be related to longevity. It could just be things that you enjoy or have enjoyed recently. What drives me in life? No, no, no. Uh, what books would you recommend people check out? Oh, for aging? Uh, it could be aging. It could oh. be just things that you enjoy. Oh, things I enjoy. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I have a lot of different... Uh, uh, right now, I'm reading Being You, which is about mm. a very good book on consciousness. I, I like it a lot. Uh, I'm, I'm reading about noise also. I, that's my next one. I'm, I've not read it, and it's next one on my bookshelves. But there's some very kind of people who are interested in aging. I will recommend the, uh, the book from David Sinclair. It's, it's now old, uh, but it's very good. Uh, it's still old because it's and it's it's something like three years old, something or like four years old, and it's already uh, too old. Uh, there's some books from humanist, and there's some uh, that's there's a, there's in fact some good books about uh, the the uh, let me see uh, the death of death from this guy, a humanist, a Spanish guy from MIT. It's death of death. It's quite interesting. It's 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 futuristic. It's uh, include also some uh, uh, ideas like uh, cryogeny. You know, you you die. You just mm -hmm. freeze people before just in hope that they can resuscitate and fix the problems. All kind of uh, very bold uh, uh, hypothesis, interesting. Um, now, what I read is mostly nonfiction. Uh, I and I, I read some philosophy. I, I read Kant again, Emmanuel Kant about mm -hmm. uh, autonomy. Uh, I being working on aging. Uh, it's it's creates all kind of philosophical issues. And um, one of the um, promise about our industry is to uh, give back autonomy to older people. Uh, if you if you're familiar with Emmanuel Kant, he's you know the guy mm -hmm. with rational judgment, and and he says that one of the definition of human is our autonomy, the fact that we are autonomous, that no one is telling us what to do. We have we can say what we want to do based on our judgment. And, and it says, okay, that's an oversimplification of the work of Emmanuel Kant, who's now is oh, shaking in his in his thumb. Okay, uh, but uh, autonomy is very important for us. And when you age, you lose this autonomy and it's it's part losing your, your what makes you human. And uh, one of the objectives of the therapy is not only to delay age-related disease, not only to keep some muscles so you can you can still walk, you can still have social interaction, but to keep one very important uh, part of your uh, what makes you human, your autonomy. And uh, I've seen that in my family, in my surroundings, in people who lost their autonomy, brilliant people, and when they aged, they were not allowed to do anything, not to decide for themselves or the life and I found that profoundly saddening so that's that's something I'm, uh, but can't I read that by 
step by step, little by little, and I, I just mm. mix it with several books. But there's so many good books right now. So yeah, and, and then, uh, uh, recently I read uh, I read the uh, Elena Ferrante novels because my wife loved it, and uh, I it's uh, the Napolitan novels. It's uh, it's very Neo interesting book about uh, Neapolitan no nobles. Uh, uh, yes. The, okay, I've uh, heard that before. Uh, it's Elena Ferrante. It's it's. In fact, you have uh, four books, and uh, hmm. it's, it's a story about Neapolitan uh, girls who, and it's 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 a kind of an history of uh, women in Italy and how this patriarchal okay uh, society evolved. And there's a religion and then the place of women. It's very interesting. It's a, it's a very interesting feminist book, but uh, combined with uh, uh, some kind of historical perspective on, on Italy. And, uh, and, and it's, it's extremely well written. <laughs> hmm. right, and then we have a couple of fan, some listeners. I pinged people and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be uh, talking to Eric today. So uh, they they ask some questions. Um, so okay. I'm going to say their, their usernames. And for people out there who didn't want me to say their usernames, you should have said so because I'm going to read them anyway. So XTOP, X2OP, I don't know. Uh, you can make fun of me for pronouncing it wrong. What is a job or skill set that is in high demand outside of actual biotech research in longevity? In other words, how does someone from outside this field best contribute to the longevity movement? Oh, interesting. Uh, longevity, we talk about the importance of AI. I think someone who has some kind of uh, uh, AI expertise and deep learning will have will do very well in longevity. Uh, uh, now, longevity research, uh, you can develop drugs like small molecules. You can develop, uh, which is a skill that disappearing because now we move away from small molecules, you know, but we still need people who understand metformin, things like this. Um, we, we will develop a lot of gene therapies. I think that will be a major um, uh a major um, source of progress. Uh, uh, peptide will play a role. Uh, when I say gene therapy, gene and cell therapy, I include mRNA and and and, yeah. and reprogramming tools. So uh, someone with good understanding of uh, cell biology uh, will be will have certainly uh, uh, a major role. Um, well, um, just to interject, uh, they were asking more for like non-technical roles, like so people who aren't biotech researchers uh, who still want to be a part of helping, like I like business people, I guess maybe, or people who just aren't technical. I think there's a lot people like your profile, people who communicate, uh, because it's very strangely, you know, there's reluctance. It's uh, uh, people, when you said, oh, uh, uh, there's, there's these feelings in the general community. I, and again, it's maybe maybe I'm biased, but uh, it's, it's maybe coming from a frustration I have that people think, oh, that's just Jeff Bezos, you know, wanted to leave 150 and 
biotech will develop them these very sophisticated tools and those guys will play golf at 150 when I will when the rest of us will die at, at 85 or 95 uh, and it's not for everybody um, and in fact this has to be changed because that's not that's not correct uh, the fact that uh, there's some people like Jeff Bezos investing in with Altos, but there's also you know people at Google involved in, in, in also uh, put a lot of money in Calico and research. It benefits the the entire community, and there's a lot of exchange. And so, uh, but there's still this idea that it's not for me. It's just for a few very rich people. So in fact, you have people who can communicate to others. Uh, that's that's extremely important. Uh, I think economists could be also working on the tool because there's there's a huge benefit. Uh, I was shocked. I've seen a paper uh, written by um, oh, it's not it's not even published, but it's a pre-publication, so I will not say the author. But uh, the impact, the financial impact of metformin, uh, it's it's a small benefit. We said, you know, metformin is this anti-type, uh, anti-diabetic drugs that has some extra benefit in terms of uh, of uh, aging and has positive impact of aging. The impact is marginal, but even this marginal benefit has a huge financial. Uh, uh, it's it's incredible, absolutely incredible. And it was done with with major institutions, so I, I I trusted the figures, but it was not done by you know some small guys in, in his basement. It was really a very well executed work. Uh, so to convince uh, the the politician, the regulators that uh, yes, aging should be considered as a risk factor. There's a huge benefit to invest in aging research. There's a huge benefit to provide to a large majority of people tools to age better. Mm-hmm. That's then, that's very important. Without being a that, scientist. Yeah. So there's there's a couple of ways there to help out. I mean, then the the last question is going to be from Lunchbox. <laughs> I like this guy's username. I I didn't read it before uh, uh, typing it out. Lunchbox Ultimate Zero One. I love your username. Uh, which asset in Genflow's bio Gen, Genflow Bio's pipeline is most advanced, and what is the planned time frame for human or veterinary clinical trials of said asset? Okay, so we have we have one Citroen Six program that we decline in two in three different programs. Mm-hmm. One is Nash. Uh, uh, Nash is now progressing the fastest. Uh, the Werner syndrome is also moving. It's moving. It's uh, the the work on the delivery has to be a little bit more sophisticated. The first one is we have to deliver the gene to the liver, and it's easy uh, because the liver is the one is the organ that captures most of the uh, vectors. Uh, there's uh, some uh, little what we call PKPD pharmacokinetic pharmacodynamic just uh, issues with the uh, Werner syndrome so we need to do a little bit more work fine tuning of the delivery for the Werner so it's a little bit late 
Uh, it can go a little bit faster after because it's under orphan drug designation. Uh, it will be done under uh, orphan drug designation. It's not yet. In, we didn't get the designation yet, but we will apply. Uh, and it's a it's it's a shorter clinical development, so it may be the first one uh, that will be proof of concept. Uh, it's very important for us uh, because. Uh, uh, the, my company is based on the idea that uh, at one point uh, the regulators will consider aging as a risk factor. And we see hints of that everywhere. Uh, the TEM study, it's a phase three study approved by the FDA uh, and it's, it's an aging study. So if they approve it, they will have to approve on this criteria on the, of this phase three and, and Nir Barzilai and his colleagues did a fantastic job. They've been very rigorous uh, and they were trailblazer for that. And it's, these guys are, you know, the, the entire uh, community should be very thankful to those guys because they, they did an absolutely fantastic job and then set up a very good basis for an, a, a future approval. When the, when the, Regulators will uh, say, okay, now we regulate the FDA, the MHRA, the EMA, the European Agency, Medical Agency, will say we regulate therapy for aging. This will not be uh, biotech like mine. Now the, the research is mostly academic and biotech. There's no pharma. You cannot see Pfizer or Merck or Novartis or Sanofi, any kind of those big guys, really, they're not in aging. They don't have active program on aging. Uh, it's too risky for them. And it makes sense because for them, it's not regulated. It's not our business. Uh, as soon as uh, this will become regulated or there will be hints, more hints, more, more rumors that it's coming and it will be two to three years, my guess, Worst case scenario, maybe four or five years, really worst case scenario. But I see that coming with two to three years. It could be MHRA, it could be FDA. It seems that EMA is a little bit slower, may change. Uh, but this will happen. When this will happen, you will see a wave of acquisition of pharma. The big pharma will jump on those biotech and we want to be one of the biotech that will be acquired by you know, strategic acquisition at crazy prices, like we've seen in immuno-oncology, when, you know, when oncology was only chemotherapy, targeted drugs, and then someone has stupid ideas, oh, we can use immune system to regulate. No, 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 this will never work. And then you have CAR T cells and checkpoint inhibitors, and then you saw this uh, for uh, this huge appetite of pharma, the oncology pharma uh, company, large pharma company, just bought those uh, immuno-oncology companies like uh, Kite, Juno for crazy prices. You'll see the same wave of position from pharma. So it's important to have a very, a very strong proof of concept and have a pipeline. So the timing is important and we expect to have that. We, we try to not to take shortcuts, but to have to establish proof of concept as soon as possible. In addition, we have the uh, VET program. The VET program is very being very pragmatic. Um, I'm obviously the wrong generation to talk about VET. Uh, the dog, 
the story of the dog in my family is my kids crying for a dog. We want a dog. We want a dog. Dad, please, please. My wife going with them. We want a dog. And I said, ah, come on, come on. And then I said, okay, fine. But you will take care of the dog. I took care of the dog. Now my kids are in college and I take care of the dog. My wife and the kids never took care of the dog. And it's fine because our dog will, the kids were not exposed to uh, to the death of the dog or the decay of the dog. It's perfect. Uh, now, the young generation, they were not like me. They were smarter, and that's what we expect from every generation, to be smarter than the other. And they use the dog, there's a significant portion of couples use the dog as kind of the acid test before having a kid. So they have a dog, and they said, oh, we're still together after a year or two, and we educate that dog quite well. He's happy with us. He's not peeing everywhere. He's not eating too many shoes. Uh, we should consider to have a kid. Oh, yes, perfect. We pass the dog test. We can have kids. They have kids. And then the dog, unfortunately, with the sequence of events, has to die when the kids are six or seven. And the people from the vet industry told me there's a huge unmet needs for life extension in dogs because their sweet spot is not the old lady who wants to uh, uh, die before a dog, but it's this young couple who don't want to confront the kids with, where is our bill of dogs? Oh, yes, it has to be terminated. What do you mean that terminated? Uh, it's complicated and and that's the sweet spot. Those are the guys who spend a lot of money, those, those you know, those special dog food that cost uh, a fortune that are uh, uh, ecologic and whatever with rich in vitamin and <laughs> uh, all those. And there's this opportunity with that. We have to develop, we have to do animal testing it's part of the approval. We try in my company to limit the animal testing as minimal, and we do that through collaboration with a French company that does organoid for us. It's very interesting, organoids, because uh, instead of using the, the liver of uh, a dog or a mouse to see if there's liver toxicity, we use liver cells, human liver cells that are uh, put together to create an artificial liver, if you want. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's it's much reliable because cancer has been solved in mice multiple times, not in human. And everything that's come from mice or dog cannot be 100% extrapolated to human. So it's usually relatively better. Uh, in addition, for example, we do artificial liver, human liver, but we can do artificial liver from cells from patients with Werner syndrome. So we can have a model that tests, so, and we have that, we're doing that right now. So we have now, uh, uh, so artificial levers produce with cells from, from Werner patients. So that's very specific. Anyway, we still have to do, we still have required by the agency to present some studies in dogs and uh, these dogs will help us to uh, do a proof of concept 
in dogs and we will recycle that with uh, vet companies. So we'll see to find a partner to have some kind of life extension, but we will not do commercialization by ourselves. It's something, it's a different job that what we're doing. So as soon as we have proof of concept, we'll contact uh, a vet company and uh, sell the sell the product. Mm 